Hey, this is Mark with A Present Word, where scripture is shared with insightful and practical applications for you today. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. I'll be reading this portion from the New Living Translation. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. Verse 15, And after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and reaping crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. You knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least it could have gotten some interest on it. Then, turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, Bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Okay, we'll stop there. When we hear this story, what significance could it hold for us today? Can this parable message help us in our present life circumstances? Does it reveal spiritual truth and kingdom realities we could understand more fully? I believe it does. This nobleman who was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king in return is none other than Jesus referring to himself. And the distant empire he's being called to is none other than his father's spiritual kingdom. He's gone back to this kingdom to be crowned, and he will come again. But this time he's bringing his kingdom's rule and reign with him, now having been crowned king. We read before the nobleman left, he called together his ten servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I'm gone. In the Bible, number 10 can signify responsibility, and that's exactly what the nobleman was doing. He was dividing out individual responsibilities to each and providing them opportunities to be profitable. 
These ten servants in this story represent us, you and I, the believers in Christ, Christians, and the Jews who believed he was their Messiah. The story tells us at his return, the first thing he's going to do is set up court and call in his servants to inquire what profits they've made on his investment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, what are these things they will receive the Apostle Paul's referring to? The story tells us the king began asking the first servant, then the second, then the third. The story does not include the remaining seven servants. I believe the reason why Jesus didn't include the remaining servants in the story is once he made his point by showing the distinction between the first, second, and third servants, it wasn't necessary to include the remaining ones. We can all assume all of them would have been examined on their profitability. So what was the distinction between the three servants? The first servant reported, Master, I made ten times the original amount. Well done. You will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I made five times the original amount. Well done. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with. On that day when Jesus told this story, I believe the crowd was listening very intently at this point, having liked what they heard so far, but wanting to hear the outcome of the fearful servant who hid the money. Maybe hoping the third servant, even though he wasn't profitable, thinking at least he didn't lose the king's investment, maybe he'll be rewarded with a small city or possibly a village or two as governor. Unfortunately, this was not the outcome. The king said, you wicked servant. Then, turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. And they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Well, it was a nice story until the king roared. That's when things start to break down for many listening, thinking, The king's response is too hard to hear. The listeners could have been thinking, this king seems harsh and unloving. You would think the king would have offered his fearful servant some possible investment counseling or fear therapy. But taking what little he had and giving it to the one who had 10 pounds, that seems excessive, certainly unfair, and downright mean. We know the first servant made a tenfold increase. And his reward governed ten cities. And the second, a five-fold increase, his reward governed five cities. However, with the third servant, Jesus is warning his listeners, if you are fearful and bury your investment, there are serious eternal consequences. You will suffer loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, 
he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet through fire. The Apostle Paul is telling us on the day of the Lord, fire will test each one's work. Well, the question is, will our work endure the day of the Lord, or will it become burnt ashes? John on the Isle of Patmos writes in the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verse 14, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And again in Revelation 19, 11, and he who sat on the white horse was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. The source of this fire is none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will be searching us with his eyes, looking for gold, silver, and precious stones. But if our works were only wood, hay, and straw, they will be burned away by his eyes of fire. Jesus is telling his listeners in advance through this story, some will receive a reward, others will suffer loss. The silver being divided out to the servants in this story does not represent their salvation, even though silver in the Bible can refer to redemption. But silver also refers to value, which is implied in the story. What value did his servants place on increasing his investment while he was away? So the loss isn't salvation, but a loss of qualifying as an overcomer to rule and reign with him in his future kingdom. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 25, But hold fast what you have till I come, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. That sounds very similar to, well done, you will govern over ten cities. The rod of iron represents authority or governorship. But notice the primary qualifier in this verse, overcoming. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, the emphasis here is on my works. That's very important. His works done through us will remain. They are the gold, silver, and precious stones. Our works done without him are like the wood, hay, and straw. They will burn up. In other words, Jesus is saying in Revelation 2, it's the overcomers I will reward with power over the nations. Did you notice the similarities in Revelation 2 to the story in Luke 19? In Luke, well done, the king said. As your reward, you will be governor over cities. In Revelation, he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. In Luke, it's to govern cities. In Revelation, it's nations. Some of you might be thinking, well, what if I don't overcome and keep his works to the end? Well, you won't rule and reign and govern cities or nations in the age to come. Yes, you will be saved. But the opportunity that was presented to you in this life, Jesus told us in advance, will be taken from you and given to another who will be found profitable and faithful. I know sometimes these things are hard to hear, but we have to come to terms with the character and nature of the God we serve. Jesus isn't coming back again as a suffering servant on the cross. He is coming back this time 
as the ruling and reigning king clothed in majesty. His eyes will be like a flame of fire burning into us to examine what's inside. We should take these things to heart so we're not found unprepared at his appearing. The Apostle Paul writing in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what are we supposed to be working out? Well, are we allowing him to rule over us during our time here living in our physical bodies? Are we afraid? Are we hiding his treasure? Are we one of those who send a delegation after him saying, we don't want you to rule over us? This story of the talents is not some trivial children's story. Jesus is attempting to inform his listeners about important future events, who he is, where he's going, and what he will expect when he returns. In the Gospel of John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus speaking, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Actually, everything Jesus taught was from the Father. Even this story we're reading in Luke was the Father speaking to us through his Son. Back to the story. As for the people who hated him and sent a delegation saying, we don't want him to be our king, their outcome did not end well. As for these enemies of mine who don't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Well, that's scary. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. When Jesus appears, what will he be looking for? What's his utmost expectation of us? Will it be how diligently we worked or how much money we earned during our lifetime? Will it be our accuracy with our gift of prophecy or that we understand all mysteries and all knowledge? Will it be our faith that we could remove mountains? Will it be because we gave our money to feed the poor or gave our bodies to be burned? Maybe we spoke with the tongues of men and angels. Yes, all these are certainly good. However, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that's not it. In verse 13 of that chapter, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus will ask us on that day, like he asked the Apostle Peter, Do you love me? On the day of the Lord, he will be searching with his flaming eyes of fire, looking into us, searching for his reflection. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was the perfect image of his Father, not his outward physical form, but his intrinsic nature. Isaiah 53, 2 tells us, He had no form or comeliness that when we see him, we would desire him. 
When I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus back in 1979, I could never have imagined what he planned to do with me. I actually thought he made a mistake receiving me. I felt completely unworthy to be considered his disciples. But over time, I've come to realize Jesus doesn't make mistakes. In my early years as a new believer, I was overly focused on, what can I do for him? I want to serve him, to show him my appreciation for saving me from my sins. But now I've come to understand, it wasn't what could I do for him he was looking for, but what I would allow him to do in me first. If I'm honest, it's much easier to do for him than to surrender and allow the Holy Spirit permission to transform me into his new creation. This is a daily yielding of my own desires and will unto the will of God as he reveals his plan to me. This is the taking up of our cross daily that Jesus spoke of in Luke 9.23. Many so-called religious people transform themselves outwardly but not inwardly. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writing, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his Son in me. So the Lord's desire is to change us from who we are naturally, born of our parents, and transform us into a new creation, a new man, the heavenly man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, it's done by the Spirit of the Lord to completely restore us back to God's original design, back to the garden status before the transgression. Now, not the physical garden, but a spiritual one to be quickened and made alive. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. In closing, we must resist the daily influence of darkness that surrounds us in this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This present darkness wants to entice and tempt us to stop the effect of the Holy Spirit's desire to work within us, to develop godly character and spiritual growth, producing authentic Christ-like behavior. This darkness is an evil influence. Its ultimate desire is to get us to look like, act like, and think like this world's evil satanic kingdom to get us to bear its image and not God's. We must actively work and wait for our king to return, knowing we have to settle up accounts with him. He will be looking for fruitfulness in us as we faithfully invest our talents he has given us into his plan for our lives. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Regarding this goal for the prize, this upward call, I don't believe it was Paul pressing in to get back together with Silas or Barnabas and hit the road to plant more churches. No, I believe it was Paul saying, I must continue to reach forward and upward, allowing the transformation process to continue until he had apprehended by being made perfect in Christ. That was his goal. Not that Paul himself would be perfect, but that he would become the perfect image of his Lord inwardly at his appearing. Remember when Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father? Jesus replied to him, He who has seen me has seen the Father. As long as we have breath in our lungs, there's still hope and new opportunities each day to press upward into the call of God for our life, forgetting those failures and disappointments behind us, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, to be overcomers like Jesus and Paul, to be transformed into a perfect image of our Savior at his appearing, so we too, like the faithful servants, will hear, well done, and step forward to receive our reward. I hope this message was helpful to you today. If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, click the follow or subscribe button. Donations to A Present Word in any amount are greatly appreciated. Just click the support link or the heart button if you're on our website. To contact me, the email is apresentword at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.